I'm going to start today uh, because when I came in, I had a letter, and it's from Sue. Uh, Sue uh, informs me um, that her father died, Andy Andy Tebbis. I don't mind using his name, um, and that that just tells us why we're doing candlelight services. We're doing a candlelight service because of what it means. And I'm going to answer a few questions about what I believe Andy went through. We're confident that he is fine. That's not the issue. But the experience that he had is coming for all of us as I'm coming to my own at some point. So this is our candlelight service, and we have reasons for doing candlelight services, uh, again, for what they mean. And there are some fundamental foundational truths of Scripture that are requisite precepts or tenets. And first among those would be Christ's great declarations. I don't have a pen in my hand. Okay, now I can. I have no board to go to, so I get really weirded out when I don't have something to know. Christ made declarations in John 8:12 and John 11:25 and that is where he defines himself as the light of life. There you go right off the bat. That's why the candlelight service. He is the light of life and he's the light that what that means of course is that he's the light that creates life. If you want to know where is the creativity, what is the mechanism that has exploded all of this life on this planet, it is, God says, Christ says that it is Him and that it is light, non-particle, primable light. That's Genesis 1.35. The light came to darkness. Here we are in the, in the solstice, right? It's as dark as it could get here in Anchorage. And so light has come. That is what we are remembering or, or memorializing or emphasizing at this time. And again, he is the only resurrection and the only life. And Christ says that consistently and repeatedly. Then, after definitively announcing that he alone is the source of resurrection and life, Christ then places before all men, all of mankind, the consequential question in Scripture, in my view. And that's this question that he asked, the question of life from the one who is life himself. John eleven twenty five. He says, I am. Which now is a, as you know, if you've been here and most of you have for quite some time, that is a time reference. He is telling you that he is the creator of time and that he is outside of time. And he alone is that as well, the triune Godhead. I am the resurrection and the life, singular. There is no one else who resurrects and no one else who gives life. He who believes in me, again, look at the, all the language that God is using here. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, belief is a mental property, not a physical property. You cannot do anything physically to become saved. It is a belief system non-physical, from the spiritual God. He who believes in me, though he may die, may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
And then this question, do you believe this? He's asking, do you believe me? Yes or no question. The Lord God Almighty reduces his plan of salvation to yes or no. And he's the one who came to darkness. He's the light that created life. And he asks a question, do you believe me? Yes or no? Every time I do this particular aspect, I am aware that you answer the question. That is why I do it, first and foremost. There will be those who say yes, and there will be those who say no. Someone asked me recently, what's the largest group of people I've ever spoken in front of? And it's, it's over a thousand at one time. You're asking, how did I drive all of those people away in such a short... Well, that's, I'm relentless. I, that's how I'm able to do it. But at this, uh, I asked everyone, and I knew that all of them had to answer that mentally or, or in their minds. It's a issue of the mind. Do you believe me, yes or no, he asked. And those who believe God, believe in the name of Jesus Christ, 1 John 5:13, will never die, shall live. Jesus Christ is the creator of life, the giver of life, and therefore he's the one that gets to define what it means when he uses the term. He defines the word, he defines life, and therefore what else must he define just by logical extension? He's the one that will define life, so he is also the one that defines death. That's, that would logically follow, would it not? When life is defined, when God defines or declares what life is, then that which is not life is death. And the biological sciences have careened into this basic Bible concept. It is the inviolable law of biogenesis. The biologists will tell you that there has never been an exception to the bio. Genesis law, the inviolate, inviolable law of biogenesis. Life only comes from, must come from, and can only come from that which is already living. Life must come from the living. No, thousands of experiments, probably hundreds of thousands of experiments have been uh, put forth by the science community and never has the law of biogenesis ever in any way been affected. It is therefore the law. Whose grandchildren are making all this noise? (laughs) However you, did you sing Jingle Bells? Wow. We have a grandchild that when you sing Jingle Bells, he stops screaming. It's a Christmas miracle, yeah. It's amazing. I have, I have seen it in action, but today is absolutely astonishing. I have to give you credit. What? <laughs> okay, I'll keep going now, but I'm stunned by it, I have to say. Okay, where am I? 
Life must come from that which is already alive. Life cannot come, has never come from non-life. That's the very first law you learn when you study biology, and then it's completely neglected from there, isn't it? They won't mention it again because the implications are ridiculous to them. Note that Christ refers to himself as the son of the living triune Godhead, John 6.57 and John 6.58. The living bread of life, John 6.51. The living water, John 7.38. Over and over again, he is making these kinds of statements, and they are logical statements. He is the only life, therefore he is the God of the living If you want to be in the living, he is the only God of the living. There is no other God of the living. He is it, and he says so. Again, repeatedly. Obviously, he's repeating it, because why? We need to hear it repeated. But when he says he is the God of the living, that raises another obvious question, does it not? Who is the God of the dead? Is there a God of the dead? And Psalm 14.1 and 53.1 provides commentary for this question in case you're interested. I hope that you are. Here it is. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God of the living. They have gone to corruption. In other words, the fool says that there is no God. There is no God of the living. What is the fool saying? That there are none that live. Had an interesting discussion last week about how long life has to be life in order to be life. Does that make sense? How long does life have to to be in order for it to qualify as life? A hundred years? Well, that's a very short time, isn't it? How about a trillion years? If you're alive in your current state for a trillion years, would you call that life? Or is that just a temporary state? How long is eternity? Divide eternity by a trillion. What's the number? Zero. In other words, trillion is limited. Can life be limited and still be life? That's the question. The godless say that there is no life. The fool in his heart says there is no God of life. And they, the fools, have gone to corruption. God Christ is the God of those who live as he defines living. If you were here last week, you know that we begin to consider Schrodinger's paradox or Schrodinger's cat. And Schrodinger constructed a thought experiment. He essentially placed a cat into a two-state, what's called a superposed condition, both alive and dead at the same time. He put him in a, he put the cat in, in thought process, in a box with a hammer, a mechanical device that would activate the hammer, cyanide gas, radioactive particles. In other words, he had a radio decay measurement detection device. And if any radiation detection or decay was detected, then the hammer would fall on the cyanide capsule and the cat would die. And he added time. And Schrodinger was correct in including time. Time is so important to these kinds of things. 
So the cat is both alive and dead, superposed at the same time. Time has to be involved in this. So he, the cat is either alive or dead, and in both states, in Schrodinger's mind, uh, for a period of time. And now, Schrodinger, though an esteemed and renowned physicist, did not extend his definitions of life or death. He did not complete them. Give you an example. He limited living to time. The cat is alive for time. I just asked you, how long must the cat be alive? How much time in order for the cat to be living? How much time is necessary for living to be living? How does Christ define it? Schrodinger had the cat alive for a limited amount of time. Is that really life? And then he expanded physical death to extinguishment because he assumed that when you die... That that was the end of life. There we are back to Psalm 14.1, right? And that is the opposite of reality. That is not reality. In reality, physical death is the temporary state. Temporary, the physical death is what is temporary. The question then becomes, when does physical death begin? When do you begin to die? I, I, that should remind you of that adage that's uh, very famous that says good health is merely the slowest possible rate at which one dies. I, I have seen hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of healing services. I've always asked the same question. How much time did you add to their life? How much difference have you made? How much time did you add? How much difference did that make? Again, back to Schrodinger, putting in time, right? The point being that all of us now, all of the earth, all of us on the earth, all of the earth now and its current, at this current time and the time that has come before as it currently functions are in a temporal, physical death state, which has a beginning and an ending. All of us are. It is really obvious that I'm in it. I have a mirror. There's dark glass. I can see myself back there. It isn't good. I'm clearly in a temporary physical state of death. So now the most obvious of all these obvious questions. What of the living state as God defines living? When did the living state begin? And the answer to that is Jeremiah 1.5. God says... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So when was that? If I had my board, I'd have a timeline now, and I'd make you put when you came into existence on the timeline. When did you come into existence? What state are we in now? Let me repeat that question. When did we come into existence? And then how did we come into existence? Let me repeat. He gave you that answer, didn't he? I have to go back. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So how did you come into existence? How did I come into existence? It is a knowing process. God knows us into existence. 
You've always asked, why do we release the children? <laughs> oh, you've never asked that. Have you? <laughs> you don't think the children want to listen to Schrodinger's paradox? They uh, express their wills quite immediately, don't they? Oh, Izzy's remarkable, but she's 25 years old. It's not really fair. Okay, what is she, eight? No, she has terrific parents, don't you, Izzy? Say yes. You're, you're that close to Christmas presents, so yeah, you got to think this through. When did we come? When did you come into existence? When did God know you? Where on the timeline is that? Hey, that's a, mostly a trick question. You see, life living has a direct connectivity to existence. Life must come from him who is living. He who is existent. Existent. Whoever, whoever is existent, that is the one that must give existence. You can't get existence unless the person who gives it to you has it. And I have constantly repeated over the years of my so-called career, existence demands immortality. That is a logical exercise. I gave part of that to you now. If you have a temporary state that ends in physical death, I don't care how long your temporary state is, that is a temporary state that ends in death. So you do not have life. You have death. Waiting for it to be revealed is death. How long are you waiting is all that's at issue. In the coming weeks, I'll do more of that. But today, just that's all you get. My point is, therefore, life is not the same as existing. But then neither is death. One can exist in life or one can exist in death. Living is something that accompanies existence in that sense, as does death. Death accompanies existence. What do I mean by that? Again, how does one become living? Just because you're existing doesn't mean you're living. Does that make any sense at all? How do you become living then? What do you do to become alive as Christ defines life? That's why we started with John 11:25. How do you become dead? Now do you understand Schrodinger's cat? What state are you in? A living state or a dead state? How do you move from one state to the other state? How much time do you have? Existence is eternal. It is the gift of eternity. We all, everything that is alive in the sense that God has created this living, breathing entity, has the gift of eternity. Living and dying, as Jesus Christ defines the terms, those are his terms. He's the one who defines life and death. No one else can. No one else is able. He defines it with that question, does he not? Do you believe me? Do you believe this? If you believe him, what are you? Living. If you don't believe him, you're dying. 
or you're dead. That's how it works. That's what the Bible says. Back to Andy for a second in candles. Wilder Penfeld, a terrific, amazing man, wrote a book on the mind. He came to the conclusion that the mind cannot and did not extinguish a physical death. It was outside of physical death. Probably the greatest neuroscientist that ever lived. Certainly is revered as such in Canada. He was a remarkable man. You've heard me talk about it before. But he had an idea that there had to be an energy source for the mind. When you die, your mind now is disassociated from the body. The mind is completely functioning, but it needs energy. So Wilder Penfeld began to figure out what the energy source had to be. And he concluded that it must be a light-based energy source. Oh, that would make sense. So Andy, when his body finally failed him, he, what, uh, um, and, and Bill, Bill the cow, I have to identify you because the people on the internet want to know which Bill. If I don't do it, right, I get comments sent something to us. Uh, I don't know if he sent it to us, but we found it. Lori found it. And it was about R.C. Sproul, who also died here recently. R.C. Sproul had the same concept. He believed that when he died, that that's when he finally had an awakening. So did Wilder Penfeld. When you physically die, that's when you wake up. You get out of the temporary state. And you go into life or death. This isn't, this isn't anything what we have. It isn't life, and it isn't dead as God defines dead. We're in this superposed position simultaneously. When Andy, when his mind was released from his body, that's when the light hit him. He is hit by amazing amounts of energy now, and off he goes. And the body is not him. We are a mind that has a body, a soul that has a body, not a body that has a soul. So that is why we do this. We, we have particle-based light as a symbol of the real light. So that's why we'll darken the lights here in a minute. The children, I guess, are going to come up and do something. Correct? Am I correct? Yes. Uh, and then we're going to light uh, candles. I have friction and sulfur that I can't smell. And we will pass it around, and every one of you will do what? What, are you, what question are you answering? Yes, sir. What question are you answering? Okay. You're answering, just in case... He had it. I wanted him to give it to me. He, you're answering 1125. Do you believe this? Do you believe me? That's what Christ is answer, asking. Are you going to choose light? Him? Where did you get the will to do this? Why do you have the will to do it? How is it part of existence? There's 
the connectivity again. Will is in existence. If you do not have this will, you do not truly have existence. And if you do not have eternity, you do not have existence. All you have is a temporary state. All of those questions are all summed up in a candlelight service. So, children, this is your time. I'll do candles first, okay? And then we'll do the rest of it next. So do I have, uh, do I have ushers or usherettes? Where's Jane? Here comes Bill. Okay, this is like communion service. When you take communion, you're saying, I believe, I want to live, I want to be saved from myself, I want eternity reconciled to Christ, to my Creator.